Well, good morning. Hey, if you live in Thurston County and you're watching this message at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning and you're not aware yet that we're having our first outdoor open-air worship gathering today at 10.30 a.m. on our new campus at 1416 26th Avenue Northeast in Olympia, uh, then you still have time to make it. Uh, if if you want to make it, we're gathering on the lawn. Uh, you're encouraged to bring your own chairs or blankets. This is a family service. So please, parents, know that uh, your children are going to be with you for the duration of the service. There will be a children's message um, specifically for your children. Um, seating is going to be in family units, and we're going to be careful about social distancing. We're asking that you wear a mask. Uh, unless you have a physical reason that makes wearing a mask uh, unadvisable. We're, of course, not allowed to ask about that. Um, so just realize that when you come, some people will not be wearing a mask, and we'll have masks and hand, hand sanitizer available Uh if you've forgotten yours, no beverages or food will be served. So if you'd like to bring something along for you and your family, you're welcome to do that. We're just going to do this every Sunday uh, as weather allows until such time as we're able to move here into our new building. So come on over if uh, if you're close by, 10.30 a.m. here at LifePoint. Uh, this time apart from each other has been a challenge, hasn't it? I mean, what's it been, four four or five months? I want to thank those of you who have been faithful to pray for the church and for us as pastors and elders and other leaders uh, and have taken the time to let us know that you're praying. That that has just meant a great deal to us. And uh, thank you to those who have remained faithful and generous in your giving, um, and especially those of you who responded to my letter of a, a month or so ago um, there really was a great response, and we're so grateful for that. And so those those two expressions of love and faith and obedience and solidarity have been incredibly encouraging. Although uh, our progress toward occupancy of our of our newly remodeled building here has been slower than anticipated, I I want you to know that I also see the hand and the timing of God in all of this. Uh, it won't be much longer. And uh, please hear me when I say that your hands-on help is needed to complete the work so that we can obtain our occupancy permit. So contact Pastor Evan to let him know that you are available. Evan at lpcoli.com. Well, I want to pray this morning and then get right into our scripture, which is in the second chapter of Philippians uh, verses 1 through 4, and you, you might want to just grab your Bible right now uh, if it's not close at hand. I have found this passage to be very helpful in thinking about something that's really been on my mind, two really timely questions. Uh, here, here's the first one. How may we as followers of Jesus Christ and as fellow members of the body of Christ, the church, go on cultivating and living in genuine unity with each other 
when circumstances on the ground make the relational experience of close community somewhat difficult, whether it's due to mandated social distancing or for other reasons. Stated more simply, how how can we continue to be the church when we're unable to gather as a church? The circumstances we've experienced for the past few months have the potential, don't they, to to loosen the, the spiritual, emotional, relational ties that bind us together uh, as a community. Um, some expressions come to mind like out of sight, out of mind, or uh, or things like that. And a second question to which this passage speaks is this. How may we, as followers of Jesus Christ and fellow members of the body of Christ, the church, go on living in genuine unity with each other, when selfish ambition, the desire for recognition or power or influence or relational unhealth of any kind persistently interfere with achieving the authentic community we desire and we even idealize. Or, again, stated more simply, how can we continue to be the church when our selfishness tears at the fabric of the community of believers? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time together in your word. Thank you for LifePoint Church. Thank you for all of those who are not yet a part of LifePoint or maybe never will be who have tuned in this morning. And I just pray that uh, for all of us that your spirit uh, would attend us wherever we happen to be right now as we're watching this video. And uh, Lord, that that you, by your Spirit, would be our teacher. That you would speak into each heart and each mind, each life, the things that you most want to say. Uh, that would that we would continue to grow in you. That we would continue to grow in Christ likeness. That we would continue to grow together as a community of believers, and that the name of Jesus would be exalted in our lives and in our communities and in our world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible then this morning, please read along with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is God's word. This passage begins with, Two little two-letter words, so and if. And we actually need to understand these two words in order to understand the direction that Paul is trying to take us and, and what he's saying to the Philippians in this section. Let's begin with that word, so. Uh, if you are reading from a different translation this morning, chances are that 
that yours may instead have the word therefore. And as has been said, um, when you see the word therefore, you should stop and ask, well, what's the therefore? Therefore. It means here's how the dots connect. And the, the dots connect back to the message we examined last week at the end of chapter 1, where Paul commanded them, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he defined a worthy manner of life in three ways. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And third, not frightened in anything by your opponents. The central element of Paul's definition of a life worthy of the gospel of Christ then is unity, practical, tangible unity among believers and fearlessness as we partner together to advance the gospel. The second little word is if. And it it introduces five conditions for Christian unity in verse 1 that he that he wants the Philippian believers to think about. I think that's why he includes the word if. And again, it's essential that we understand how this little word works in this passage. Paul isn't using the word if to imply uncertainty. He's not saying, you know, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there might not be. If there is any comfort from his love, and and there might not be. It's not what he's saying at all. He's instead using it to ask the Philippians to, to reflect on those five conditions of Christian unity that are with certainty true in their Christian experience. A better word might be, in fact, since. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from his love, and so on. Think of these, then, as five things that are true. Five things that are true and and, and that will be seen with increasing clarity in the life of every person who has trusted in Christ. And these, in turn, lead to the experience of deepening unity within the community of believers. So the first is encouragement in Christ. The sense of this word translated encouragement focuses actually on our obedience to Christ, the the encouragement to walk in obedience and the encouragement that comes from having obeyed. And, and we might add to that the encouragement that, that we receive individually when we realize that, hey, we're experiencing fresh new impulses to obedience in new areas of our personal lives and in new areas of service. When we're living in vital relationship with Christ, when, when we're in that relationship, we assume and embrace the obligation to fulfill his directives, not least among them the directive to love one another as he has loved us. See, no one can claim to be in unity with Christ 
and walk in disunity with other believers. The second condition for unity among Christians that that Paul lists here is the comfort we receive from the love that Christ has for us. Is the love that, that God has shown you a source of comfort for you? I'm sure it is. I hope it is. Notice what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Notice the abundance of comfort, first of all, but then also notice that the comfort we receive from God is given for a purpose. It is given, well, a couple purposes. It's given so that we'll be comforted, isn't it? But it's also given so that uh, we are enabled to abundantly extend that comfort to others who are in need of being comforted. It leads toward unity. The third condition for unity among believers is participation in the Spirit. And that word participation is in Greek the word koinonia. And we saw that word back in chapter 1, verse 5, where Paul gave thanks to God for the Philippians' partnership, koinonia, in the gospel. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership, your participation, your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. To participate in the Spirit means in this context to experience the the fellowship, the partnership, the community that the Spirit is always at work to create between believers. In fact, I always think of the Spirit of God as the glue that holds the church together. Nothing else and no one else possibly could. Think about it. People, first of, of, of every race, every ethnicity, every language, every tribe, every nation, people of a broad diversity of political persuasions, people with a broad diversity of opinions on nearly everything, people of differing social and economic and educational status. I mean, who can bring all of that together and make it one? The answer is, of course, only the Holy Spirit, only the Spirit of God. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that the Spirit of God has baptized all of us into one body. One body. He's made us one, and as he perfects the good work that he began in us, we enter into the practical experience of that tangible oneness, that that unity. And that's why we can discern with some accuracy that those who claim to be in Christ, but hold themselves back or stand apart from the life of the Christian community, may not in fact have the Spirit of God living in them after all. The Spirit will always, always, always move you toward unity and toward embracing practical community 
with others in Christ. Well, the fourth and fifth conditions for Christian unity are affection and sympathy, and Paul kind of lists them together. That word translated affection is also the word for internal organs. You might say that affection has to do with deep gut-level visceral emotions, deep feelings. This is also the work of the Spirit in us to create such deep kindness and an affection in us for each other. Remember when I was a kid, people would say, I hate your guts, which which meant I hate you from my guts. I, I have this visceral hatred for you. And that's the word that Paul's using here. But he translates it, affection, visceral gut level, affection. And that word sympathy, again, points to mercy and compassion, especially to those who are in difficulty and misfortune. It means to to feel in our own hearts the pain and the difficulty experienced by others. See, the miracle of the gospel is that God takes people like me who are who are not tender, not affectionate, not sympathetic, not compassionate, and by his spirit transforms our character so that those characteristics begin to emerge from within us. And it and it's this transformation of character that that results in the desire for and the pursuit of unity with other believers as a central element of the normal Christian life. Paul says, in effect, then, that these five conditions are true in you. If these are true in you today to any degree, and you know that it's only because of Jesus, why don't you just say an out loud amen and thank you, Jesus. He goes on, because these five conditions are true in you, here's the one thing I want you to do. Make my joy complete. Five things that are true, one thing to do, And Paul introduced us to his experience of joy back in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Again, you remember that? I thank my God in, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now Paul is saying, that joy that I experience on your account Whenever I think of you, whenever I pray for you, take that to the next level, would you? And just fill me up to capacity. Well, how would the Philippian believers do that? How would they make Paul's joy complete? And he tells them in verse 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Well, what does it mean to be of the same mind, have have the same love, to be in full accord and of one mind? And I'll tell you right off the bat what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean conformity. It doesn't mean a suffocating kind of sameness. It doesn't mean being squeezed into a mold. I was driving down State Street this week, and while I was stopped at an intersection near Percival Landing, I noticed three young teenage girls um, 
probably middle school age, over on the sidewalk. And they were taking each other's pictures in various poses against the wall of a a new building down there. And what caught my attention was that they were each wearing nearly identical outfits. Samey-samey, right? It reminded me of the power of peer pressure and of how important of a value sameness is in the lives of young teens. But that's not what Paul has in mind here. Instead, it means unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. You know, the world talks a good game when it comes to diversity. They just can't figure out how to achieve unity. So instead, they demand conformity, and they label it unity. We're seeing that played out on our television screens night after night. What then does it mean for us as a community of believers in Jesus to be, first of all, of the same mind? That phrase in the Greek language actually has no distinct counterpart in the English language. So again, you have to connect some dots. The the closest we might come is to understand that it actually speaks not of lockstep agreement on every possible thing in life, but rather of a common mindset or an attitude set, a common framework for thinking and feeling, for, for viewing life. And in light of that goal of living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, A clue to what Paul meant is found in connecting the dots between three similar phrases that appear here in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 2, he says we should be of the same mind. And next, also in verse 2, he adds that we should be of one mind. Same mind, one mind. And then in verse 5, which we'll look at in greater depth next week, Paul adds have this mind. So notice the same mind one mind, this mind. Which mind is this mind? Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, we'll unpack this further next week, but there's our answer. There's our answer. Same mind, one mind, this mind. And this mind is the attitude demonstrated by Christ Jesus when he came down from his throne in heaven, emptied himself in order to become one of us, a servant of all of us, and to offer the ultimate sacrifice, or the ultimate service, rather, in the sacrifice of his own life on a Roman cross. It's the pattern of his life that that provides the model for understanding what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul urged the Christ followers in Corinth, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. Christ is our example. He's our model. We can have this mind because, Paul says in verse 5, it is ours in Christ Jesus. 
it's part of the good work that God began in us through Christ and, and that he's perfecting in us. It's part of the, the download, if you will, a central feature of the download of the Spirit of God into our lives. It's an attitude of love and humility produced in us by the Holy Spirit that motivates us to serve others, even at extreme personal cost. And that's why Paul goes on in verse 3 and says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And again, that phrase translated selfish ambition means, means literally to seek followers for yourself, for your own gain, kind of to build your own team within the church with a willingness to go as low as is necessary to accomplish that goal, low in terms of methods and motives. In the church, selfish ambition results in factions. It results in divisions, rivalries, disunity. Instead of that, Paul urges us, urges us to follow the example of Jesus and in humility to see others as more significant than ourselves, to count their needs as of greater importance and urgency than our own. And then verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He has shown us how Christ demonstrated that through his incarnation and death. We see it demonstrated by Paul as he became an imitator of Christ. Here in Philippians, we're going to see it demonstrated in the life of Paul's protege, Timothy, and in the life of a man named Epaphroditus. Now, notice with me that that it's okay to look to your own interests. If you don't, in short time, you won't be in a position to serve anyone. It's like that warning that is given to parents by a flight attendant. In case of loss of cabin pressure, an oxygen mask will drop from the ceiling. Parents, put your own mask on before putting your children's masks on them. But but don't overlook or avoid what Paul's actually describing here. It's not a 50% me, 50% thee proposition. It really is a matter of humbling ourselves and considering others as more significant and more important than ourselves. That's why you wear a mask during a pandemic, for the protection of others as much as for your own The Apostle Peter taught us, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. See, it's through love, it's through humility and sacrificial servanthood enabled by the work of the Holy Spirit in each of us that we, Life Point Church, will continue to build unity even when we cannot be in close community. It comes down to an attitude. It comes down to a set of values. It comes down to the actual work of Christ in us that moves us to serve one another. See, God will show the way if we're willing to go the way. 
And when you and I are, are seeking the interests of others, we're, we're seeking the interests of Christ, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So I want to encourage you, even during this time that we're apart, how can you look out for the needs of someone else within the body of believers and serve them? Maybe it isn't even someone that's a part of LifePoint, but they're close to you and and they're Christians. How can you serve them? How can you love them? How can you give attention to their needs and to their interests and serve them practically uh, during this time. I want to encourage you who are in life groups, even if you can't meet, to be reaching out to each other. You can do that through texts or phone calls or emails or Facebook. There is just endless opportunities and, and means of communication today. Reach out. Find out what's going on. Find out their needs. And see how you can serve, how you can encourage, how you can build them up during these days. Well, that's it. God bless you, LifePoint. Love each other. Have a great week.